Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio, brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution, and UHMS-accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com, Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio. Thank you for making us a part of your day this afternoon. I'm very pleased to be joined by uh, one of the physicians that we work with on a regular basis, Dr. Jocelyn Curry of Ankle and Foot Centers of Georgia. Welcome to the show today. Thank you for having me. Uh, your time is very valuable. I know you're taking time away from your busy practice to be here, and so uh, I want to say thank you for that. Um, today we're going to be doing a little bit of a highlight on your practice, just kind of getting folks in the community aware of what you do, the specialty that you, uh, specialty care that you provide in your office, and then uh, looking at your website there, there's some uh, good information about what your clinical focus is, and it's pretty broad. You like to do a full scope of uh, ankle and foot type services, ranging from reconstructive surgeries to wound management right. to a whole host of things. So we'll, we'll get right down to it. So, okay. um, you know, your your practice located. You have a couple of office locations that you operate out of. Is that right? Yes, we're located. Um, my main office is in that the Cap Medical, uh, Lothonia, the Hillendale campus. Okay, and I'm there at some point. Every day, five days a week, and then I'm also at Emory Midtown. We have an office there as well, the Old Crawford Long uh, Hospital, and I'm there on Thurs Thursday mornings. Well, tell me a little bit about what someone can uh, can receive in terms of care for their you know their their foot needs with you in your office. You've got a you know if you look at your bio, you you've got a kind of a broad scope of things that someone could get benefit from. So tell me a little bit about some of your clinical focus that you like to uh, provide to your your patients. Well. In my office, I see a mixture of ailments from ingrown toenail to bunion pain to fungus nails to uh, ankle sprains, ankle fractures, Achilles injuries. So it's definitely a mix of any type of foot and ankle ailment you can think of. I pretty much see it at some point throughout the week. Now, when a patient you know comes to you, are they typically being referred by a you know primary care physician that they go to to say, oh, I hurt my ankle or I hurt my foot or something, and then a primary care doctor is referring them to you, or right, do they come yeah. straight to you? Yeah, usually it's actually a good mixture of referrals from primary care doctors um, and those who found a practice on, online, just researching a foot pain that they're having, and they come across our practice online and make an appointment from there. So it's definitely a mixture. We have a good mix from primary care and other specialties that refer to us as well. I see. And, and so, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started today. And, and in fact, since there was a Twitter question from uh, one of our listeners out there uh, about bunions, we can kind of start with that. I'm kind of okay. curious about that topic because, I mean, it, it, it apparently is something that affects a lot of ladies in particular for whatever reason. Uh, but uh, the Twitter question is, my mother's contemplating bunion surgery. Is this absolutely necessary? And are there any alternative treatments for bunions? So I guess Tell me a little bit about what a bunion is, what causes it, and then we can get to the question of do you, you know, when do you do surgery? Right. So typically a bunion, what people see is the bump that's at the big toe. And that bump usually causes pain when they wear shoes that rub against it or shoes that can tend to be too tight and cause pain at the bump side itself. Patients may also have complaints about the big toe rubbing up against the second toe because that's part of the bunion injury or um what happens when the bunion forms. Bunions are actually genetic, so they're going to come from your foot type because your foot type is comes just like your eye color is genetic. So mm -hmm. if your parents have bunions, grandparents, 
you're likely to form bunions at some point in your lifetime if we don't do things early on to stop the progression of it. And that can be wearing custom orthotics or the custom inserts that can be worn in shoes, or we're just wearing proper shoes that properly support the middle of the foot and the back of the foot. The, ar- the bunion starts from the arch of the foot. So if that's not properly supported, then the bunion will form over time, creating that bump on the side of the foot and the big toe going toward the second toe. So you were telling me as we were sitting around pre- preparing for the show that, that the, the arch is a little weak in some of those folks and it kind of lets things move around more right. than Right. There's to. what we call hypermobile um, midfoot. So that meaning that most people have a flat foot. And that's, the, that's the most common foot type we'll see. And that flat foot can be hypermobile. There's too much motion in the middle of the foot. And so that causes that big toe bone to start to move inward and the big toe itself go toward the second toe. So if we can properly support the middle of the foot at childhood and early adulthood, we can likely prevent the progression of the bunion as we get older. So if your parents, if you have a child Mm -hmm. and you have been dealing with some bunions then the best thing you could do is i guess get your child evaluated for supportive shoes right. that would potentially help thwart that problem developing from them or at least not being so severe is that right exactly that's that's very important um, if you if you have bunions or your yourself and the father has bunions or both parents then you definitely want to have the child evaluated by a podiatrist so there are a lot of things we can mm. do to prevent it from even becoming a problem um, a lot of kids don't have pain they may have bunions early there is a such thing as a, as a juvenile bunion. So you can have one even as a small child or a teenager, have a bunion early. But if you don't have one yet, but the parents do, then it's likely that it will form over over time. And so as it relates to who develops bunions, obviously it's genetic, but is it equal between men and women or is there a propensity from one or the other? It's or? typically, it's equal as far as who forms it. Now the pain is likely more of the women because yeah, of the type of I've shoes we heard. wear. Yes, yeah, that's right. Always yeah, the, the shoes that are fashionable <laughs> are not the ones that <laughs> agree with bunions very well. <laughs> the, the shoe industry out there for ladies, I guess, is probably great business for, uh, for, for, for podiatry. For right. Helping exacerbate <laughs> or identify problems, driving somebody to want to get it fixed. That's I know that, you know, it's funny because my wife um, uh, actually has one and, and, and her mother is, is in that case. My mm-hmm. wife ended up having surgery mm-hmm. and, you know, and her mother's trying to decide. So I guess going back to the Twitter question, when do you do surgery versus mm-hmm. kind of keep an eye on it, try to change shoes and that kind of thing? Well, what I'll tell patients when they're considering surgery is if you've gotten to the point where the bunion is causing pain all the time, you're having to constantly change the shoes you wanted to wear or the activity you're planning to do that day, not not exercise, not walk around the mall, all because that bunion hurts, then it's time to have surgery. Um, it's also best to have it evaluated by the podiatrist so you can look at x-rays. And we can see exactly what's causing your bunion, um, how severe the bunion is. If there are changes to the joint that could create arthritis, then it's good to have the bunion surgery earlier than later because you may need a more extensive bunion surgery if you go too long. If the arthritis gets too bad or we can't preserve the joint, then we have to have the joint fused. Um, so there's all, there's all those parameters when we look at bunion surgery and when it's necessary. When you're looking at the deformity of the foot that forms with the bunion, is that protrusion out the side there, the big lump that we're talking about right. now, is that actually new bone that's kind of been deposited there? Sometimes or is it's it new just bone. the shape of the bone because it's right. getting pushed out there? Yes, yeah, actually sometimes it's new bone. There's actually a bony prominence that's there, and sometimes it's just that the bone itself has shifted. And so we're just looking at the bone that's creating the bump. And so part of the surgery is moving that bone back over into a straight line. 
so that the bone and the toe make a straight line again. So now is it in the recovery period, is it held in place by... Right, it's held in place by screws, usually screws we're going to use, or or pins, something that's permanent that's going to stay in the foot permanently. Um, There are some cases with certain types of bunions where screws or hardware is not needed. But for most bunions, you're going to need some type of hardware to keep Uh that bone in place. It never comes out usually unless there's a problem, an allergic reaction Uh or something like that. It stays in for life. You don't feel it or even know it's there. If I if I end up developing a bunion, particularly if I have um, surgery f- to correct it, what are what are my abilities to exercise? Say I want to run or do athletic endeavors, right? You know, with that in place or after I've had surgery, is that possible or does that it really is change possible? Things? It's possible. Just keeping in mind that the bunion formed over time, so it will take time to get back to those activities. Nothing's a quick fix. Mm-hmm. Um, surgery isn't a complete guarantee of pain free. Our objective is always to decrease pain, um, but it all depends on the type of bunion surgery that you need. It goes back to the kind of bunion you have and looking at the x-rays, and that's all going to determine the, the type of surgery and then your post-op course, how long you're going to be off of your foot, how long you it will be so you can get back to running. All the activities you used to do just may take a little bit longer, so everyone heals differently. It may be three months, it may be six months, maybe a year till you get back to your running or Uh, aerobics or whatever it was if it's very strenuous activities on your feet it may take a little while to get back to that we're talking with dr jocelyn curry of ankle and foot centers of georgia and she's telling us a little bit right now about how she corrects bunions when they occur i didn't realize that there was a genetic component so that's kind of surprising and obviously that's powerful information for someone who's listening right now just like we talked about where even though they may be dealing with it as an adult, as an adult, they have the opportunity to potentially help their child avoid that problem or at least keep it from being so severe. So that's really great information. I'm curious, how often do you see people that are having trouble with injuries and ruptures to their Achilles tendon? I mean, I'm sure there's a whole host of athletic uh, activities out there that are mm-hmm. going to cause some pretty high stress forces on the on the Achilles. I can only imagine what it feels like when you rupture your Achilles heel yeah. uh, or Achilles tendon. So tell me a little bit about that injury and how you manage that. Well, Achilles injuries are pretty devastating because it's a very powerful tendon. It comes from a powerful set of muscles in the calf. Um, we need it to push off and walk. So typically an injury can be seen a lot of our weekend warriors, which is typically the <laughs> person <laughs> <done> that, yeah. <laughs> who doesn't work out often, but on the weekends like to go play basketball or soccer or the new thing now is kickball. Um, I see a lot of kickball injuries. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So a lot of that. So if you want to get out and work out and do things, it's best to condition. Kind of not go from the couch to the field. It's important. That's typically the patient I see is the one who just – you know, used to be an athlete, but it's been 10 or 15 years and they just really want to get back into it and then they injure something. So that Achilles rupture is typically going to be corrected by surgery. Um, sometimes it can be just from being put in a cast and crutches for a few weeks. Um, it just depends on how bad the rupture is, how far apart the tendons are of that ruptured, um, whether or not you'll need surgery to fix it. What's the recovery time for these types of procedures? We were talking about bunion surgery, for mm-hmm. example, and, and, and Achilles tendon surgery. How long does it take to get you back to where you're able to you know, start moving around? Maybe you don't, and you don't have to wear the, the giant uh, offloading boots and things <laughs> like that that you know, right. kind of you know, interfere with your getting around. Right. So typically in a, I would say, an ideal case, um, you're going to be in a cast for three to four weeks. Then after that, you would go to a walking boot and start physical therapy, trying to rebuild the strength of the Achilles tendon and calf muscle. Um, So from there, you're probably looking at about six weeks to two months before you kind of really feel comfortable 
wearing a regular shoe and, and kind of doing regular activities. Now, if your regular activities were playing basketball and running three or four miles, then that may take three or four months to get back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you have to rebuild that strength of the calf muscle. The calf muscle is going to be weaker and smaller than the other side, than the non-rupture side. So it's important that the physical therapy and the strength training is always there right after the surgery. So can you prevent that injury by doing things like uh, focusing on flexibility, for example, of the, right. of the calf muscles? Yeah, and, definitely and stretching, kind of... warming up properly before you're going to work out, after you work out. Um, all those things are key to preventing ruptures. Well, given the fact that, that such a injury and such a, a surgical management of that is going to be you know, fairly significantly affecting your life, um, you obviously want to choose somebody that's good at it. Right. What sorts of questions would you advise a patient to ask, you know, if they if they're not fortunate enough to end up in your care? Mm-hmm. Um, what sorts of questions would you advise a patient to ask so that they can kind of evaluate who they go to? Because, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people just kind of presume, well, I'm going to a foot and ankle doctor. They should be able to fix it, right. though it may not be one of the, you know, yes, they were trained on it, but perhaps they don't do it all that often. I mean, what, what would be a suitable answer to how often do you do this surgery, for example, to give you a level of comfort that this surgeon is probably good at it? Um, well, it's hard to say if, if there's going to be a set number or say they do it so many times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, I would say if, if they treat Achilles tendon ruptures, for say we're going to talk about that in particular, if they do, you know, at a minimum five to ten a year, I mean, that's that's pretty that's pretty good as far as treating it now if mm-hmm. it's going to be something where you need a tendon transfer and it's a really bad injury maybe you walked on it for two months and now it needs something more extensive than just a repair then you may want to go to someone else who does that reconstruction i was talking about reconstruction of the tendon and that's different um but typically an achilles tendon rupture can be one of the more basic things as far as when it comes to injuries. Now, some of the other more tricky ones are like ankle fractures and um, some like calcaneal heel fractures. Some of those can be a little bit trickier, and you want to be definitely have someone that has the experience and knowing all the ins and outs and if something goes wrong and how to fix it. Things don't go ideally. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I, I think that that's important, and I, I would – you know, one of the things that's kind of come up over and over as we've gone through, you know, here on the show, we've had a host of different specialists on. And, you know, second opinion is one that was certainly mentioned. So I would presume if you're interviewing your potential specialist and, and they don't just, you know, come right out and just absolutely give you a good feeling that, yeah, I can, you know, I do that all the time. And, and I'm, I'm, it's one of my specialties right. that seeing somebody else is probably a good choice uh, in second opinion. And, and uh, obviously you'd be somebody that I would recommend somebody would have talked to. So mm-hmm. how often do you have pay- people come to you with, you know, with a second opinion? Hey, I'm, I've been seen by somebody that recommending this or that, mm-hmm. that they might come to you and, and ask for your opinion on what they're dealing with. Um, well, I see second opinion patients, I would say probably a few times a month. I've, I can think of a few right now that I've just seen this month. Um, that may have already had surgery and just wants to know if it was done correctly because they're still having some pain or they were scheduled for surgery and they just got a bad feeling about something and they want to see someone else and make sure they really needed the surgery that was recommended. Um, so that is something that's seen in our practice sometimes. Something that uh, that that you gave me some information on, neuroma, is something I'm familiar with. I converted from a heel-striking runner. Um, where everybody, you know, when I was a kid, it was heel to toe. That's how you run. You land on your heel and you roll to your foot. And then more recently, I I read more about 
midfoot striking or landing kind of on the middle part, middle front part of your foot to uh, kind of use the lever forces of your of your you know ankle and calf and so forth more like they're designed to. But in converting over, I went from trying to get away from plantar fasciitis mm-hmm. from my heel striking gaze to developing neuroma where it felt like wow. my toes were broken. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be able to run. So tell yeah. us a little bit about what neuroma is and, and uh, we can kind of get into how you get rid of that. Yeah, neuromas are actually an inflammation of the nerve between the bones in the middle of the foot. Um, the nerves run along the side of the bones. So if you're having some particular activity you're doing, say running, or um, particular shoes that you're wearing, something that's squeezing the bones together and putting pressure on the nerves, the nerve can get inflamed and form what's called an aroma. It basically gets thicker at a certain part, and there's just not there's only so much space in the foot. Mm-hmm. And if anything gets larger, it's going to get cause pain. So it can create some numbness to the toes. It can feel like there's a ball or sock or something rolled up in the bottom of your foot when there really isn't. Um, it can create some tingling sensation to the toes. Um, those are kind of some signs that you may have an aroma. It felt like my toes were broken. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Especially, I mean, strangely, walking hurt more than when I was running. Um, I guess it must be the, the, the position that, uh, you know, when you're walking and you really get a big higher right. force on the toe there than maybe when I'm running. But uh, I was surprised by how badly it hurt. And what I, what I ended up doing was found some inserts for my shoes that put a, it almost felt like a, a ball under under the you exactly. know, the front end of the arch, I guess, that kind of holds that apart. Well, yeah, it's basically separating those bones where the nerve runs between those um, two bones. So we're putting a little bit of extra space. They're giving that nerve extra room to eventually for the inflammation to calm down. And so there's not pressure on the nerve for giving it time to heal. Sometimes we do injections in the meantime. Mm-hmm to decrease the inflammation of the nerve in so that like particular area. So steroids kind of? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steroids. Or there's also an option of doing like a type of alcohol injection where we actually kind of sclerose or burn the nerve um, to basically deaden it. Um, you may have end up with some numbness to the toes, but then there's no pain. But they can still function. You can still Yeah, you can them. still function and move the toes. It's just the sensation may be a little bit different or gone to those particular toes. And just like the other problems, I, there's evidently you can progress to as far as having surgery to repair yes. that where they actually remove that little. Yeah, we actually remove that part of the nerve that's inflamed. And sometimes nerves, once they're injured, they don't recover well. Um, so we just have to take out that bad part of the nerve. And then you just will have kind of residual numbness to that particular toe the nerve was, was supplying, but the pain will be gone. I mean, with these types of injuries and, and uh, you know, deformities that we've been talking about with, like, say, for example, the bunions and, uh, you know, the tendon, tendon, tendon injuries to the Achilles and then neuroma, once you've had some correction, I mean, what are your risks for having it come back again? Yeah, so there's always that that question of, will I ever have this again? Um, And it it varies depending on the deformity. With bunions, um, with bunion surgery correction, it is possible that bunions can recur. Because like I said, it's a genetic genetic formation. It's from mechanics. So if we don't change the mechanics of how the foot actually hits the ground and how you're walking, then the bunion can recur um, in 5, 10, 15 years later after having surgery. Um, so that means always wearing supportive shoes, avoiding walking barefoot too much, avoiding the flat flip-flops or non-supportive shoes too often. All the fun shoes. You right. can't, you can't yeah, wear fun it's shoes all, anymore. It's all in moderation. You can wear them, but <laughs> just not five days a week. <laughs> that patient said, we all have 50 pair of flip-flops, and I, that's all I wear. It's like, well, you're going to have pain. <laughs> now, you know, I noticed on the website you had contributed an article that talked about custom orthotics. Talk a little bit about that. When, when, when should somebody consider orthotics? Because, I mean, I know that 
for me personally, in my experience, it was when I was dealing with the plantar fasciitis and the way my heel was striking the ground. Mm-hmm. They did help that problem get better. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about when should somebody consider getting some, you know, true custom-made orthotics, not right. Dr. Scholl's from the right. uh, little gizmo there in yes. the Walgreens. So I tell patients uh, the biggest <laughs> difference between those is the over-the-counter inserts are cushions. They're going to cushion the foot for maybe three or four, maybe five months, um, but that's it. If you can bend an insert in half, it's not supporting your body weight. It's not going to do its job very long. Um, a custom orthotic is a custom insert that basically rebalances the foot. It's custom because your right foot may be different than your left foot. We may need different things on each foot. So I make a digital impression of the foot, and then I send a prescription to the company with that impression and makes an orthotic from that. So if your right and left feet are different, then I can do different padding, different um, our modifications to those to the right and left insert to give you exactly what you need. So if it's heel pain, um, if it's the bunion, if it's the hammer toes, if it's neuroma, whatever it is, I can make the orthotic to help that pain. Now, the key with that is that orthotics are only going to work for certain shoes. We can't have an orthotic for sneakers that also goes into the high heels. Now, it can make two different pair of orthotics, but they usually aren't going to be interchangeable that way. But a pair of orthotics that go on your loafers can also go on your sneakers. So it's important to express to the doctor what type of shoes you wear most often, what you do every day, so that we can make an orthotic best fitted to what you need. Now, if I need orthotics, do I need to wear them all the time? I mean, Well, least- I, I tell patients 80% of the time. Okay. I say, you know, you don't have to change. You don't have to wear sneakers to church. You know, people are like, I want to wear my heels to church. Well, you can right. wear your heels because that's a couple a couple hours, you know. Um, but you do need to be able to put it in a shoe that you're going to wear the majority of the time. So whatever your work shoe is, whatever your workout shoe is, whatever that is, it needs to have an orthotic to fit that. We're talking with Dr. Jocelyn Curry of uh, Ankle and Foot Centers of Georgia about her specialty in ankle and foot uh, challenges for for fa- patients that are dealing with a variety of problems that they may face with the foot and ankle, and we're, we're learning a little bit about the custom orthotics and who they can help. Now, if if you need orthotics, for example, does does insurance help pay for those um, if they need you know to get some developed for their feet? Right. Sometimes it does. Every insurance plan is different. Um, sometimes they will cover it for diabetics and not for people who are not diabetic. Mm-hmm. Um, it all depends on insurance. We call every person's um, insurance company to look at their plan and see if they have any coverage. Um, keep it in mind, even with the cost of orthotics, they're going to last you five to ten years. And orthotics can be modified over the years if the top cover comes off or it's coming unglued or it's falling apart because your feet sweat a lot. Well, that can be, re- that can be redone. So the base of the orthotic, the part that's really balancing your foot, that actually lasts for five to ten years. Okay. So if you're thinking about buying the ones in the store that are forty, fifty dollars, well, you're going to keep buying those every six months, and you'll eventually pay the price of getting a custom orthotic. I see. So it's best to start with custom to begin with. So if I'm a runner or if I'm athletic, can I engage in you know use my orthotics in my fancy running shoes? You or? can, and one thing I've noticed is that it will help your running shoes last longer. Typically, mm-hmm. shoes are going to have a six-month lifespan of five hundred miles. And that's because shoe companies have made shoes softer to be more comfortable. Well, the softer materials wears wears down faster. So after about 500 miles, you're going to start to lose the support you need in your shoe. But if you have a custom orthotic in it, it may last you nine months to a year where you're not having to buy those expensive shoes as often.
That's interesting. I wouldn't have even thought about that. So you, I mean, obviously the running shoes these days—it's pretty amazing how expensive they're they, getting. Yeah, so they are. if you're able to buy one one or two pairs less per year, yeah. then obviously you're going to be ahead of the game there. And one one of the things you talked about there, uh, as we were discussing the orthotics, you mentioned the diabetic, and obviously those types of patients—they're they're at risk for a variety of problems, ranging from. A deterioration in the shape of the foot where the mm -hmm. bones align just due mm -hmm. to some of the damages to the nerve and the blood vessels uh, right and so peripheral neuropathy is one of the pieces of information that you gave me that uh, that you focus on as part of your clinical practice so kind of take me a little bit through the diabetic foot patient and, and what you run into for them and things that somebody who has diabetes now should be kind of thinking about uh, right. from, from the perspective of their feet. Right. So the most important thing with diabetics is that we check your circulation and your sensation. Um, of course, you want to have good circulation to make sure it's getting good blood flow to the feet and to the toes. Um, and then also the sensation comes from the nerves. Typically, the nerves um, can become damaged in diabetes because of how the blood sugar puts a coating over the nerves. Mm -hmm. The nerves run like wires in our body. They go from the spine to all the different locations. So the ones in the feet are the longest in the body, and they'll tend to be affected first by diabetes. And with that thick coating of sugar over the nerves, they don't do their job as well, and they may produce shooting, tingling, burning sensations at times patients will describe. And you may also just get some numbness, some loss of sensation altogether. Mm -hmm. And that's where diabetics can get into trouble, that you don't feel pain, and you don't know that something has been injured until it's become infected, or red, or oozy, or smelling. And that's when they come to the office and say, yeah, I've had this, this sore on my foot that hasn't healed um, for two months, and I don't know what it is. Or I think I stepped on something in the last week, but I can't really feel it, and I think there was something there. <laughs> They'll come in with a <laughs> nail in their foot, literally. Right. Um, it's pretty crazy that, that that can happen, but that just illustrates just the extent yeah. to which the nerves can be damaged, mm -hmm. that their foot is more or less numb you can actually right. do minor surgery on their on their foot and they don't feel it right patients will try to cut their own nails and they cut too close and then the nail gets infected and it's bleeding oh i'll put some neosporin on it and a band-aid or i'll soak it and not realizing that they've gone deeper than they than they think because they don't feel pain mm -hmm. so diabetics should always be checked at least once a year to make sure that their sensation and circulation is intact and if they're able to cut their nails, just make sure that someone has looked at them, the doctor has looked at them, and instructed them a proper way to cut their nails um, and things to avoid um, and when it comes to that. I'm always recommending, I've actually been invited on a couple of occasions to speak to diabetic support groups, and each time I've asked the room, you know, the full of diabetic patients, do you have a, a podiatrist? And it's kind of surprising how few Right. do have a, a podiatrist that they follow and I'm constantly recommending to them that they you know just like a primary care physician given the risk that they face just from something so minor it's just like you talked about when they're getting their nails trimmed um, that that can turn into uh, a soft tissue infection for sure that gives them all kinds of problems or even gets an, an infection in the bone and now they're losing part of a toe or even part right. of their foot or worse. So it's, it's obviously a big problem and a, and a big concern. And, and so I recommend for the listener out there who is either dealing with diabetes or they have a loved one who is, is to find a good uh, podiatrist nearby uh, that is willing to do some basic measures. You know, obviously uh, getting to someone like Dr. Curry, if you have a wound that's not healing is, is uh, very important. But 
before you get the wound. Right. Going right. to somebody like you to be able to take care of things like calluses, for example. People, right. you know, I think a lot of people kind of believe that calluses on your feet are normal, but they're not. They're not normal. Calluses are pressure points. Um, and they're areas where the body's getting too much pressure. It doesn't like it. So it's building a callus or a, an external cushion to protect the bone underneath. So we need to determine why you're getting that pressure point, what we can do to stop the pressure point, um, if it's whether it's custom orthotics or diabetic shoes or some type of offloading measure that we can do to stop the callus from forming or at least not to be so thick and painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, calluses are not normal. And, you know, obviously, you know, there again, it kind of dealing with the calluses and, you know, trimming your nails, for example. I don't know how many times in our wound specialty practice that we've seen patients who started out from a salon, Mm -hmm. getting a nail trim, they get the quick nicked a little bit, and then that kind of starts that cascade of events that leads to, you know, partial or even some fairly significant amputations. The the reason that happens is because we all have bacteria that live on the outside of our skin. It's kind of a protector. Well, it's not meant to be on the inside. So if you get a cut or an abrasion or something and that outside bacteria gets inside, then it it forms an infection. So people think, oh, I just got a little cut. It's okay. But if it's not clean proper, you don't have proper circulation to bring the proper white blood cells down to fight that infection so that it can heal. Then that's when you get into trouble and you end up with the cellulitis and the smelling, oozing wounds and that need to be admitted to the hospital. So, you know, we were, as we were sitting uh, before the show and talking a little bit about your services, uh, you mentioned kind of on this topic that, that you even have a specialist come in who's, who's able to provide pedicures for right. patients so that they can get their nails done, they can get that nice, uh, you know, nail job done on their toes, right. get them trimmed and painted and that kind of thing. Um, and they're, they're a knowledgeable yes. individual as it relates to the diabetic foot. Right. Um, and obviously the equipment is going to be Yeah, we have a licensed clean. pedicurist, yeah, that comes every Friday. Um, she's uh, been quite booked up recently. Yeah. <laughs> Patients love her. Yeah, um, yeah she's does, she does a great job. She has all sterile, clean instruments. She spends about an hour per patient um, and just giving you what the patients want. You know, the nails cut down, the calluses trimmed down, and they want the polish and all that, the time. And so she's really great at that. She comes every Friday. I'm always kind of impressed by how fast our time goes. We've already been, you know, here for a while now. I've been talking with Dr. Jocelyn Curry of the Ankle and Foot Centers of Georgia. Uh, and, and before we end up having to, to jump off, you know, are, are there other things that you, you really would like for our listeners to, to know or think about as it relates to, you know, whatever it may be, preventative care of some kind or, or issues that you find that kind of, you know, trip somebody up to, to play on words a little bit (laughs) as it relates to the care of their feet that uh, would be beneficial to know about. Yeah. Well, one thing I definitely see now that the weather is warm, see everyone wants to get outside and work out. Um, Most important thing I can say is don't work out in old sneakers. Don't find some sneakers in your closet that's been there a while and just start walking miles because you're going to have foot pain. Um, always start off with new sneakers, um, making sure that it's even best to even see a podiatrist first. Make sure you're getting the right type of sneaker that you need for your foot type. Um, not all sneakers are created equal. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there are different names and different styles for shoes for a reason because they're all different. And it all depends on the activity that you're going to do, um, the type of shoe that you need. Um, we said, like I said earlier, be sure to warm up properly, stretching before and after. That's going to definitely help prevent injuries. Um, And if you have any swelling or um, any redness or any pain, don't ignore it. Um, If it doesn't go away with an Advil or some kind of over-the-counter after a day or two, then see someone. Because you can definitely have a worse injury. And the longer you let it go on, 
the worst can get. You can have a stress fracture that turns into a real fracture. Um, you can have an ankle sprain that um, turns into just the ruptured ligaments from just a sprain ligament can become a full ruptured ligament or Achilles tendonitis that turns into an Achilles rupture. You just don't want to ignore things and you have pain. Um, some pain with working out is natural. You're supposed to have some soreness, but it should go away. Mm. <laughs> and if it doesn't go away, get it checked out. <laughs> That's great. Now, you know, we talked about the diabetes and, and those types of patients and, and how just how significant is it to have appropriate shoes for the diabetic i mean are, you know the patients talk about they, they they cost seem seemingly they can cost a little bit more but mm-hmm. given the risks i mean it would seem to me that's a wise investment but right. you know how how important is it to have the the right shoe if you're a yeah diabetic it's patient? definitely very important especially because of that sensation piece um and the circulation point of course but we want to make sure that you have good support to your foot and that you have offloaded those pressure points wherever there's calluses. And there's a reason why most insurance companies pay for a pair of shoes once a year. Oh, I didn't realize because, they do that. Yeah, That's great. they do. They pay for a pair of shoes, and they're typically going to be your New Balance or some other style shoe or name brand that you recognize, but they are designed for a person who needs extra support. I know that they've got, you know, in some of the offices I visit from time to time, I've noticed the, the styles that are available are, are not just Frankenstein shoes anymore. No, they've you're, gotten you're better. You get some yeah, shoes that yeah. look, you know, very much like something, you would find something in out Macy's of the shoe store. store. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they've definitely gotten better. Now, do you do you provide those in the in the in, in your particular office, or we perhaps do. have some places to refer people yes, to go to? Yes, yeah, so we have a podiatrist um, who comes into our office once a week, and he measures your feet and goes through the catalog, make sure you're picking a shoe that's proper for your foot type and your style and your lifestyle and what you're going to use it for. Okay. okay. Now, I know that your your practice is online. You've got website, Twitter, and uh, um, and then I believe Facebook as yes. well. Um, I know that uh, I can go ahead and share your, your website. It's www.ankleandfootcenters.com. Yes. And from there, you can link up with uh, Facebook, Twitter, um, and it uh, looks like YouTube there, too. So there's probably right, some, some videos out there right, that you can get videos. some good information from. Obviously, mm-hmm. you've got a blog uh, on the website that has some good input from the, the surgeons in the practice. Um, if you link up with the, the Top Docs uh, media presence on social media, you'll obviously be able to find them. Um, our Twitter feed is at top docs on brx and we're linked up with uh, the ankle and foot centers of georgia mm-hmm. uh and that one is let's see here i'll pull it up here afc georgia at afc georgia and that'll get you linked up with the twitter feed for right. ankle and foot centers of georgia and obviously uh, since i've had uh, one of your colleagues uh, on in the past i've been you know linked up and we share your information so it's a great place to go if you do have some foot and ankle issues whether that it's for you or, or a loved one you can get some great ongoing information that'll help you either deal with an issue with some better information or perhaps ideally prevent something from happening for you mm-hmm. exactly any kind of particular numbers that you want out there for folks to call if they need to get a hold of you uh, yes, the office um, in Lithonia, the phone number is 770-981-9011. And then our office in Midtown, Emory Midtown is 678-702-0620. Well, I, I want to say again, 
to you, Dr. Curry. Thank you very much for blocking off some time of your day to be able to come here and, and share some information about what you do. Obviously, there's a ton of people uh, in our community that could benefit from a specialist such as yourself. And, of course, with our own experience uh, working with you through our own practice, so I can certainly say uh, this is a good place for you to be if you're needing this kind of care. Um, and so make sure that you link up with uh, their practice online through their website and social media and ours as well, and you'll be able to get some great care. I want to say thank you all out there in uh, Radioland for uh, making us a part of your day, and we'll see you next week, same time, same place. Thank you. 